Father, again, we thank you that in our standing before you, for those of us who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, we are complete. That there is nothing further to be done for our salvation. Father, we ask that, as we sang earlier, that you would nurture our hearts so that we would need nothing but the Lord Jesus. Father, help us to be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you. Lord, again, we thank you for this time today as we anticipate taking your table. As we confess together that we are unified with you and one, one another. And I pray that you would prepare our hearts. Convict us in areas. Show us in areas where we need to change. Lord, help us not to partake in a manner that's unworthy, that's being a hypocrite. Lord, if we take it, we are proclaiming that we are walking with you. May that be true. We know there's stiff judgment towards those who partake of the table and then not actually walk with you. Father, again, we thank you for these reminders. We thank you for your word that does lead us and guide us and convicts us and that your spirit opens our eyes to truth. And sometimes we can be deceptive. Our hearts are deceptive. We think we're walking one path and sometimes we're on a different road. So we ask that you would have your way and will done in our lives today. That if there are areas that need to change or if areas need to be confessed, that we would do that right now before we partake at the table. Just give us wisdom, give us understanding, and also the power to change. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be at Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 today. And it really leads us up to the Lord's table. Just one simple verse. It's really a transition from what Paul has been talking about from verses 1 to 8 to what he's going to be talking about uh, through the rest of the chapter. Again, you remember that in uh, chapter 12 of Romans, uh, verse 1, he talks about our relationship with God, and that is that we are supposed to be a living sacrifice. And then he tells us about our relationship to the world, and that is don't be transformed. I mean... Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he tells us about our relationship with one another as far as in the body and our giftedness. And we've been looking at that, verses 3 to 8. And here he transitions at this point in verse 9 and says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. From there, he's going to be talking about our relationship actually to ourself, what type of people we ought to be about verse 14, and then to the ungodly. What's our relationship to the ungodly, 14 to 21? So again, there's this this transition, and it's real important that that we understand that our love should be without hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy came from um, the ancient Greek time, as I mentioned actually on Thursday at our National Day of Prayer, which was just a wonderful time to be together. But anyways, hypocrisy was used of a person that was on the stage, theatrical stage. And it was used of a player, one that was 
was presenting, and the idea was that, that they were playing a part. Okay? The Greek theater had neither background nor scenery nor costumes. See, they didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, the actors carried masks. In fact, I, I brought up some masks. These are ancient, actually, Greek masks. You know, and they would just literally wear them. And according to what the mask was, you could tell whether it was a, um, what type of mood they were trying to set. Now, I, I found this one interesting. These obviously are uh, recent, but, but, you know, every one of them, you can't really tell who's behind the mask. And again, that was the whole point. They were play acting. Was, was a character supposed to be tragic, comic, melodramatic? They, you saw it by the mask. You didn't see the person. They weren't, it was just uh, wearing a mask, being uh, fake. Again, as Paul mentions that, let your love be without hypocrisy, the idea is, are you wearing a mask? <laughs> are you wearing a mask today? Have you come in and, and you're saying, praise the Lord, and, and you're shaking people's hands, and you're going to be taking communion, but if we really saw who the real person was, just within the last 24 hours, the things you thought, the things you said, the things you did, are not lining up with what you are right now. Because everybody would look at you right now and say, oh boy, they must be really walking with the Lord. So are you wearing a mask? Paul says, listen, don't, make sure that your love is without hypocrisy. That it's genuine. That's the idea, that it's genuine. In fact, that's the fill-in if you'd like it. The nature of love is that love is genuine. It it's, doesn't have a false appearance of goodness when it really doesn't have the goodness. It doesn't have a disconnect between what you see and who the person really is. In other words, we'd say that person is a man or a woman of integrity. There's not a, a facade or charade or a sham or deception with that person. By the way, I mentioned a number of weeks ago that there was a, there's a, um, they have like uh, Mardi Gras in Switzerland and and uh, one of the things they always, because it's just kind of a time of revelry, just like you see in, uh, down in New Orleans, but one of the things that the Protestant churches do in Basel, Switzerland, is they put up these big billboards saying this, that God sees behind your mass. Because they wear masks to try to hide who they are so they can go about their revelry. God sees. God sees our heart, right? God knows where you're at right now. God even knows if you're a true believer. So we have to be careful with that, that we're, not, we're not play acting. We're not just being an actor in church. That we are genuine. Again, do we all struggle? Yes. Are any of you perfect? No. But again, we have to have a genuine heart of humility that says, Lord, I need you, I, I need you to guide me. I need your spirit to guide me. I want to be convicted. I want to, be, I want to come before the table um, worthy. I want to come before the table pure. I want to come before the table confessed up, as it were. Um, now, again, it, it's an easy transition that you see because look at what he's, he's saying. Listen, I'm, I've just told you about spiritual gifts. The question is, are you using your spiritual gifts out of love? Is that your motivation? Uh, one interesting other side note is that the, um, the NIV, how many of you have NIV translation? A lot of you probably do. NIV, I think, translates it, uh, let your love be sincere. Is that what it says? Sincere. The word sincere comes from the Latin word sincere, sincera, which meant without wax. 
That's the point, without wax. And you might say, what do you mean? And it refers to the ancient practice of using wax to hide cracks in inferior pottery so that the vessel could be sold for a higher price than otherwise. In other words, see, what it is, and I love pottery. I love, I love living in Alfred, actually, because you always get to see a lot of pottery and stuff like that. But the idea is, you want to make sure, by the way, this has water in it. Yes? Okay, sure. Uh, it was funny because today I was looking all over the place, and we have a lot of pottery. Um, and I figured, man, there's got to be some pottery that had uh, a crack in it. And I could not find any pottery that had any cracks. The idea was back then they would make pottery, and obviously the main purpose was function, not aesthetics. And uh, if there was ever a crack, they would literally rub the wax in it because then if the person said, well, let me see if it's genuine, and they you know, poured water into it, um, you know, they could tell whether or not it was going to, you know, suit the function. And I looked over, I could not find a piece of uh, um, pottery that had any um, cracks in it. But anyways, the idea is that you want to be able to, you know, use the... Actually, this piece did. It was funny. Um, I probably should put it back in. Um, <laughs> No, what was funny about this was, I actually looked, I really thought this was a good piece. And I was filling up the water, talking to Aaron out there at the drinking fountain, and as I was filling this cup up, you know, just because I was going to use it as an illustration, he said, it's dripping. I said, you're kidding me. And I said, that's right. (laughs) Which kind of proved to me, when it comes to sincera, wax, it can be very deceptive. I really thought this was a whole piece, to be honest with you. And, you know, I happen to pick the one piece probably that, you know, has got a crack in it. But again, it will just keep dripping. You did, I didn't see it. I did not see it until I put the water in here at the church. And, you know, when it comes to Christians or Christians who say, or let's say people who say they are Christians, there can be a lot of hypocrisy there. Or a Christian who, said, who looks really good, and, man, you examine his life and you think, well, there doesn't seem to be any major cracks in there. And yet, you know, I always say this, time and truth tell the truth, right? Time and time, give it enough time, the truth comes out, right? Give it enough time, the truth comes out. And again, the, the, the word is sincere or actually without hypocrisy. Does your life have wax in it? Are you trying to hide things? Are you trying to look genuine when in reality you're not? Are there things that you're hiding that you look good, but your nature really has hypocritical words and actions and things like that? Now, again, none of us are perfect. But again, we have to be quick to repent of those things. Uh, thankfully, that the Lord Jesus Christ, he, can, uh, he was willing to forgive. And that's why he goes on and says this, let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't let there be cracks. Don't let there be mass, you know, things that you're hiding and, and you're trying to look one way. It should be this, that, you know, Lord, I don't want to have the mask on. It's not that I'm going to just hang my dirty laundry out to everyone, but the idea is, Lord, you know, and I want to be sensitive to, to quickly repent. And I even want to know that I need each other, so I might even have some accountability partners. And the idea is, Lord, I want to grow. So he says, don't, let, don't let, your love, let your love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, if you go over to 1 Corinthians 13, there seems to... No, there is the exact same type of progression. Remember, in chapter 12, Paul talks about spiritual... Well, he talks about the body, and then he talks about spiritual giftedness. And then, chapter 13, 
So he goes from chapter 12, the body, the body ministry, uh, giftedness, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. God has appointed these in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, and uh, helps, administration, all these different gifts. And then it almost seems like he veers in chapter 13 because we call that the what chapter? The love chapter. But really, look at, look at verse 1 of 13. Though I speak with the tongues, that's a gift, of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Look at verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, that's another gift, and all knowledge, another gift, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. So he's just mentioned a lot of gifts. And though I bestow all my goods, gift of giving, to feed the poor, and though I, I give my body to be burned, have not love, it profits me nothing. See, this is a, a critical piece, not of, you know, when we think of 1 Corinthians 13, and as I've counseled over years, I've used that passage for marriages. I've used it looking at children and saying, this is how you need to treat your brothers and sisters. I've gone to 1 Corinthians 13 and looked at a wife, or I mean a mother, and said, this is how you need to treat your child. I've dealt with it as far as someone coming in and saying, my employer, I just... And, well, wait, this is how you need to treat your employee or your employer, your neighbor. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of applications to 1 Corinthians 13. But the primary one, the one that actually is in the text is, this is how you need to use your spiritual gifts and serve one another. Okay, Make sure you serve one another out of love. That's why Paul puts it right there. As you're serving, whether it's the one anothering, that's genuine fellowship, or specifically your spiritual gift, let's make sure you're using it. Make sure you're serving out of love, genuine love. That that be the motivation. So I felt like as we look, are looking at Romans 12, or if you want to go Corinthians 13, let's make sure, as we again, Romans 12, that as we go from who we should be as far as serving one another with our spiritual gifts to who we are as individuals. Paul says, listen, let's just make sure that your love is without hypocrisy. Let's make sure that as you go through time, you don't find that you have a lot of cracks that should have been taken care of. And, and notice he says, let hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And as you look at verses 4 to uh, 7... You can start seeing the things that are good and the things that are evil, just on, in, as far as what love is and what love isn't. Love suffers long, is patient. That's verse 4. And is kind. I'm in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, this is which we should hate. Love does not envy. No, we should hate envy and jealousy. We should hate pride that wants to parade itself or that wants to be puffed up or that acts rudely or seeks its own or is easily provoked or wants to keep a a track of evil. See, those are the things that you want to hate. Our love should be genuine because it should match 1 Corinthians 13. Well, let's just get to that passage and actually break it down. Now again, every one of those words are all action words. They're all verbs. Some uh, versions show more like adjectives, but they're actually all verbs. Every one of these are verbs. Love is an action. Love is something that we have to do, not just something we feel, though feeling comes along. So love is active. By the way, what you also notice is that it's selfless. It's sacrificial. It's not about me. It's about you. So when Paul says, let your love be without hypocrisy, if, if hidden motivation is I'm doing something for myself, that's hypocritical. That's not true love. 
By the way, love says this, I'm willing to do something, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to use my gift, and I don't even need the praise, I don't need the accolade. So, it's active, it's selfless, it's sacrificial. By the way, this type of love is the love that is said of God. God is love. That's a main characteristic. So really, for me to have this type of love, for you to have this type of love, it means that the Spirit of God has saved me. I mean, that the Spirit of God has invaded my life. Christ has saved me. The Spirit has come into my life and is actually producing this love. It's not something that I can produce on my own. Again, this is a very hard passage. I mean, you go back, most of us would go um, out of here tonight or today and it's like, uh, something else to work on. <laughs> I would just say this. As we go through these very quickly, because we only have a short time, take a pen and maybe circle one or two or three things that, that just pops out and say, Lord, is this what you want me to start seeing a little bit more closely in my life about love? None of us are perfect on this. In fact, I would say this, Corinthians 13, this is a great portrait of the, of, the, of the lover of our souls, Christ. See, this is a portrait of him, but none of us are going to meet this perfectly. <clears throat> but circle a couple. What needs to be strengthened in your life? <clears throat> what needs to be strengthened? Well, the first one, it says, love suffers long, or the word is patient. The uh, Greek word, and I, I don't often bring it out, but it means macrothumio. Macro, large. Thumio. Thumio means heat or passion. It, it, the idea is passion. Uh, idea this. Long with passion. Large with passion. That's what um, patience means. It means that it's able to endure offenses. Because usually when it means, when we're talking about a, uh, a lot of passion, it means running with someone long distance. We're called to love each other, not like a sprint, but like a marathon. And so the question is, am I willing to even endure offenses when wronged and still run with you? Um, in other words, waiting on the Lord to right the, the offense. In other words, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, right it myself because love is selfless. So it, first of all, it's patient. It, it's patient with people. By the way, people are difficult. People at times are exasperating. People at times are just plain slow. You know, we're just slow. Slow to learn. Slow to really pay attention. But love understands this and waits patiently. Why? Well, God is patient. God is patient with us. You know, think about how you use your spiritual gift. Sometimes we use our gift. Let's say it's a gift of encouragement or teaching or leading and doggone it, those people just aren't paying attention. They're just not growing as quick as I thought they should. They're just not following me. And eh, scrap them, let's get a new group. That's not patient. Patient is running long, large, passionate about the person, sticking with them. It, it has huge um, application to spiritual gifts. Again, that's what the context is. So are you patient? The ability to use your gift a long time with the same people who at times are difficult to get along with. How about the second one? Kind. That means useful or, or gracious. Actually, the, uh, the, the root idea of kind is active goodwill. Act, active goodness. Or the, I'll just say it this way, constructive versus destructive. Constructive. 
It says in Romans 2, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Now think about this. The kindness of God leads us to repentance? Yeah, because if God wasn't kind to us, at the point we were a sinner and we were not repentant, he would have destroyed us at that point. But God is kind. God is constructive. Act of goodwill brings us along, sends Christ for our our salvation, for forgiveness of sins, and brings us to Christ. See, when we use our gifts, do we ever get impatient? Yeah. Do we ever get where, let's get it now? and not want to put a lot of our time into the process of getting the person to get it. That's why he mentions kindness. Because love does what it can to help, to uplift, to serve, to encourage, to embrace. That, that's all kind of found in that word kindness. It's able to point out error in a problem and then, now catch this, then offer a solution. You know of any people that just can tell you the problem but they never give you the solution? Yeah, in fact, they might even say this, I have the gift of criticism. And I would just say, you fool. There's no such. No, right? No, see, kindness is constructive. They offer the solution. How about the third one? Is not jealous. Now, we just looked at two positive. Now we're going to look at a couple, actually about eight or nine negatives is not jealous, is not envious. You know, envy or jealousy says this, I want what someone else has, or I wish they didn't have it. That's jealousy. By the way, remember the Corinthian church? They were all jealous with each other. Why does he have the gift of tongues? Why does he have the gift of healing? Why can't I have it? Everyone needs to have it. You know, and Paul even, you know, looks over at, uh, let's see here, where is that? 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, you know, the, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? You know, because he had envy. He had an envious foot there. Sometimes we have envious people, you know, wishing they could be someone else. I liked how James Boyce said it. Only a believer can be truly happy when others are preferred before himself. See, Love is not jealous. And by the way, it's easy to think, oh, I don't have any jealousy. But you know what? Sometimes, what happens when you hear of your, a contemporary being exalted or praised above you? Or someone has something better. Sometimes we have this tinge, oh, I wish I... But love is not jealous. And when it comes to giftedness, it's certainly not jealous. It's like, Lord, you've given me whatever you want. And let me, it should be this, and let me just serve you. It's not about who has the biggest group or who is the most effective, because you don't really know that. Lord, just let me use my gift for you. So it's not jealous, and it doesn't brag. It doesn't brag is more of the verbalized side of pride. It's, it's not haughty. It's, again, he's, I think, getting at a heart motivation here. It's really glad when others are exalted. When other when the other ones others have have been given credit, they're okay. In fact, a wise man once said this. I, I find this real interesting. There is no limit to what a man can achieve if he is not worried about who gets the credit. There's no limit to what a man can achieve if he's not worried who gets the credit. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians, where he says, "Regard one another as more important than himself." 
there's a lot of things that happen around here. And I think a lot of things that we do are being done properly and with excellence. But again, hopefully there's not a spirit of, boy, I wish I could. But I find myself at times maybe even thinking that. That's, that's a sad scenario. Wait a second, Lord. My salvation is from you. My giftedness is from you. The power to use the gift is from you. All glory goes to you. That's how we need to think. Oh, look at the next one. Is not arrogant. Is not arrogant. Is not puffed up. Again, this is probably more of the uh, action side of pride versus the other one was the verbal side. What this means is it does not try to show off or try to impress. Why? Because the, the focus of them serving is on Jesus Christ. That's why it is so important to keep going back to the table. Because what does this tell us? That I was damned and Jesus Christ came to this earth to die for sinners. And not only that, but he brought me to himself. He opened my eyes to my need that I was a sinner, that I was condemned, that he paid the price on the cross and that I could receive that forgiveness by receiving him. And, and what does that do? It just keeps, this is what it does, keeps smashing pride, creating humility and dependence on Christ, right? And we just need to keep going back to it and keep, because really it just keeps creeping in. Doesn't pride and arrogance just keep creeping in? Think about the last argument you have with someone, most likely generated by pride, right? So we have to just keep letting our pride be smashed. The cross does that. So we don't want to be puffed up. We have to think like John the Baptist who said of Christ, he must increase and I must decrease. But again, you see in the Corinthian church, there was a lot of, there was a lot of factions, a lot of puffing up. In fact, I looked up the word puffed up. It appears, let me see if I got that right, seven times. But it appears in the Corinthian letter of those seven times, six of them. So it really points to the fact the Corinth church was a very proud church, very puffed up. In fact, I, I have a picture, of, I think a fish that was named after that. <laughs> now, this is the puffer fish. It's interesting for a couple of reasons. Well, one, that's not what it looks like. It's, it only looks like that when it gets scared. In fact, I was watching a video of uh, the puffer fish being pursued by an otter. And as soon as that otter got in the water of the stream, this thing, you could see it. It just started, you know, it's, it went from swimming to like bubbling on the top of the water. <laughs> but the thing is, it, one, the otter could not even grab a hold of it. I mean, it, it literally couldn't get a hold of it. And the other thing is, this is the second most dangerous vertebrae uh, known to man. Very, very toxic. If the otter had eaten it, it would have killed it. Because apparently the liver and the, the, the kidney uh, has the poison. So if you eat the whole thing, the, th the animal will die. But I think of this, and I think of people <laughs> puffed up. And it, there's a few, you know, we get puffed up. Now, again, that's not what it normally looks like. But you know what? Puffed up, pride is very toxic. Toxic to other people. For us, it's toxic to ourselves. Okay? But again, we don't want to be puffed up. Um, it's just not reality. How about the next one? Does not act unbecoming or rudely. You know, love. Now catch this. Love is courteous. Uh, love thinks of others. Love waits to speak. Love listens. Love listens. 
It allows others, now catch this, this is how it plays out with spiritual gifts. It allows others to use their spiritual gifts so that they might grow, that they might be blessed. Sometimes people who are very, um, they just have a lot of gifts. Maybe natural, also spiritual. Well, you have one gift. But they are just very talented, but sometimes they're very rude. They they almost just take control of any situation they're in. But here's the gift of exhortation, let's say, being done carefully and gently. They're just not rattling their mouth. They're listening to the person that's also speaking, that they're trying to help. Or this is a person who, (coughs) though he has the gift of teaching, is willing to learn himself, is willing to listen himself, is really willing to be taught himself, not just that he has to always be the one teaching. So again... In the Corinthian church, it also played out like this. They were coming together for the love feast, the Lord's table, and also a a dinner afterwards, and it says that the poor were going home hungry. That's pretty rude. Not sharing. So there's all those ways that this gift plays out in the church. Now, we we need to listen. We need to think of others more importantly than ourselves. How about the next? It does not seek its own, i.e., it's not... Selfish, but rather self-forgetting. The idea is that you're a servant. You're a servant. It doesn't have to be about me. In other words, it's not... In fact, it even goes like this when it comes to the gifts. I, I can be willing to serve, and maybe even serve in this area versus this area, even though over here I, knew, I know I would get more praise and accolades. I'll serve over here and let somebody else take this particular opportunity because it's not about us not about me it's about him so it doesn't seek its own it doesn't go after the area where I can be most noticed it's just about how can I be most used and look at this and it's not easily provoked easily aroused to anger any of you angry people out there how many of you angry people no no but some of us are easily provoked. You know, not just provoked, easily provoked. By the way, if you have a short fuse, if you're irritable, touchy, if, if people really cannot come and encourage and exhort you, realize that love is not like that. Love is not easily provoked. Love can sit and listen, because again, it's not rude, it can listen. In fact, love, because it is not self-seeking, wants to not only listen, but learn. But sometimes we're easily provoked. And, and I find this many times, that when a person is provoked, whatever makes you angry many times points directly to your, actually, your idol. If there's something in your life that you hold very sacred, very close, and somebody starts to get near it, many times we will get angry. I've seen it over the years many times with this one, and a lot of times, in fact, every time it's happened with a man. When I'm talking to the person, and whether it's their giftedness or something about their life, they will say this word, you do not respect me. Now, not only, it's either me not respecting them or someone else, but this is the point. You can see it in their mouth, you can see it in their eyes, there is anger like you have never seen before. It's all because that person was not respected in a certain area. 
The point is, is that he, or she, but in most cases he, has just pointed directly to something that is an idol in his heart. I mean, he's willing to sin for that one. Because that is so close, so personal, so important to him, that he's willing to get angry because somebody's not giving him what he thinks he deserves. Now, think about this. When you work with people, (laughs) there is such a potential for conflict and irritation. (laughs) And maybe they don't respect you, and maybe they don't value you, and therefore... I put in all that time. I, I prepared all that. I went, I've been going and I've been dealing with that. And look at how they treat me. You know, love's not easily provoked. How about this one? Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. He's not a bookkeeper. That's the really word. Logodlizomai. It means to bookkeep. It's, uh, it's a bookkeeping term. means that if, uh, if your bank statement says that you have... Uh, two thousand, or let's say five thousand three hundred twenty-five dollars in your checking account because you just got your uh, uh, refund check back. That you have exactly that amount, not a penny more, not a penny less. That amount. It's a very exact term. That's the whole point. And some of us can be very much like that. Take into account a wrong suffered. It means keeping track of offenses. Vindictive. Not uh, uh, generous and gracious and forgiving. There's a tendency towards resentment. Again, unless you have this aspect of love under control, in other words, unless you are a forgiving type person, your relationships, I believe, will be short-lived and fleeting because people, again, hurt. That's the whole point. That is the whole point of the body of Christ. And I've said it many times. The whole point of the body of Christ is you are, you are placed in an imperfect group to get along. To serve well, even though other people might hurt you. See, we're serving. We're, this is what it is. Sinners serving sinners. We live in close proximity. We step on each other's toes. We don't live up to each other's standards. And in the process of growing, sometimes we say and do foolish and hurtful things. And yet we're still to use our giftedness among each other. And isn't that interesting? And we're not to keep track of. Boy, can you imagine being married to a woman or to a man who takes account of a wrong suffered after 25, 35, 45 years? Can you imagine the torture of that man or woman that has to be married to that type of person? The person who gets historical on you? You know, not hysterical, that might be part two, but historical? I remember when. Yeah, you used to. Yeah, and then you say, well, when was that? Well, that was like, uh, what was that, nine months ago. Um, But you get historical. But in the body of Christ, we can't get historical either. And notice... Look at this. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Again, does not delight in bringing another person's sins to light like the, that other characteristic. See, the person who takes into account a wrong suffer likes to then probably push it in the person's face. But love doesn't do that. Again, when you're ministering to people and using your gift, it's very important that we, we are able to forgive and not get bitter and not get resentful, and you move on. Otherwise, it will hamper the way that you serve. It will be short-lived. It won't be effective. Because we need to show God's love. Does God do that to us? 
By the way, does God forget anything? No. He remembers your sins and chooses to forget and to remove, right? I, he chooses to remember our sins no longer. Not that he couldn't bring it up, but he doesn't use it against us. So again, these all have the context of spiritual gifts. And then finally, just kind of like a rat bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love is. Bears, it protects, it conceals, it hides, it rallies around. It rallies around. Howard Hendricks used to say, um, Christians are the only group of people that shoot their wounded. But see, love bears all things. It rallies and seeks to help the person that's been oppressed or hurt or even victimized in one sense by their own sin, you know, brought down. And then it believes. It believes. It's not cynical. Yeah, I'll forgive you this time, but I know you're going to be right back here in a little while to ask forgiveness again. Yeah, you're not going to change. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a process, but the, it believes. It's not cynical. It looks for an explanation that will show the best in the other person. Believes the best. Believes the best. That's, that's believes all things. Hopes. Hopes is optimistic because love is focused on God. It's optimistic. Oh, I know you've made many mistakes and sins. And I, and I have walked with you for many years, but I, I know that you're, you want to continue. And again, it's not gullible, but it looks for the best. And then finally endures. It's unconquerable, it's, in, it's invincible, it outlasts any trial, reproof, or problem. It's steadfast and really kind of loops itself to verse, chapter, or verse 4, verse 1, which says patient. That's what patience is, okay? So he kind of summarizes the whole thing and says, listen, what love is, is it just keeps running with you. You have a person who really loves you, they're not going to leave you. They're not going to fall away and say, I've, I've loved you enough and now I've got to go find someone else to love. And I don't mean in a marital sense. I'm just saying in a running with you type sense. No, love says, listen, well, because it's not generated by me, it's generated by the Lord. As God fills me, I'll just keep loving you. And many of you are like that, by the way. Many, many, many of you are like that. To stick with others through thick and thin, we'd say, right? To hold on when everyone else gave up. That's what a true Christian should look like. That's how our service should be. That's how our giftedness should be played out. You know, we want to we wanna be there for you. I want to be there for you. Hopefully you're there for me. Working together, serving together. Now, as we go before the Lord, question, we have a few questions to ask. Have you played the hypocrite? Are you really something different than you look? I'd encourage you, if the Lord is laying something on your heart, and he's saying, listen, this is what needs to change. At least to this point, confess it. Confess it before him. Lord, I want to change. I've been skirting this issue. I want to change. And if you've offended another person, let's say your spouse or a child or a worker, whatever, you know, a friend, somehow you've sinned against that person, I believe this. As long as you say, Lord, after this is done, and I've, con- I've already confessed to you, I'm going to make that right within this next week. I will seek that person out. So, I mean, I believe that you can still come before the Lord's table in a worthy fashion as long as you say, Lord, I've confessed it to you and I'll make that right. I'll I'll get that straight. So, are you a hypocrite? Hopefully not. But then as you look at love, have you been those? Again, none of us are perfect. Maybe you've circled a couple. Lord, I, I need your strength in these areas. But are you looking to be patient and kind? Not jealous, not self-seeking, not puffed up. 
You know, not putting our other offenses, you know, constantly throwing them up in their face. In fact, if you have, you may want to go back to that person and say, you know, I, I realize I've, be, I've become historical. No, I, I want to be like God. I want to be like Christ, who, who once it's been forgiven, it's been forgiven. Cast in the deepest sea, as it were. Let's make sure that as we come together, we're saying, Lord, as for everything I know, I am walking with you, I am pure before you, I am one in, in heart with you and with each other. Because that will bless God right there. That blesses Christ to know that his people walk in love. So let's go before the Lord. Um, ask God to search your hearts and ushers if you'd come forward. You know, only if you really believe that the Lord is good, he is kind, he's powerful, he wants to work through us, will you really be willing to confess who you really are before him, right? Otherwise we hide. I liked how one man said of not being a hypocrite, and it's somewhat of a poem, he says this, Lord of reality, make me real, not plastic, not synthetic, pretend, phony, an actor playing out his part, a hypocrite. I don't want to keep a prayer list, but to pray, nor organize or agonize to find your will, but to obey what I already know, to argue theories of inspiration, but to submit to your word. I don't want to explain the difference between eros, philos, and agape, but to love. I don't want to sing as if I mean it. I want to mean it. I don't want to tell it like it is, but to be it, like you want it. I don't want to think another needs me, but I need him, or else I'm not complete. I don't want to tell others how to do it, but to do it. To have to be always right, but to admit when I'm wrong. I don't want to be a census taker, a professional, but a friend. I don't want to be insensitive, but to to the hurts of the other people, but to comfort and encourage. You know, is that true? Is that really where you're at? He says this, I don't want to, I want to scorn the cliches of others, but to mean everything I say, including this. Do you really want to be genuine? I trust you will be. I trust you'll make uh, right areas in your life that have been wrong. And always do this, knowing that God is loving and kind and patient and wants to see you grow as one of his children, that you would always run to him and not try to hide. Sometimes we hide our sins and weaknesses from him first, and we have to be willing to confess them. Lord, I, we need you. We need you, and that's why we just celebrated his death and resurrection at the Lord's table. Father, again, we thank you for these truths. Help us to be genuine, starting with you, to really speak what's on our hearts, Lord, to be willing to go to others and make things right, to serve out of love, not out of selfishness. Father, we just ask that we would truly be useful to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.